over here, I think. Blog Talk Radio. Come on. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network, and we have a very, very unique and special show today. Sam Oliver is here, and we're going to talk about grief and and difficulties for elderly people and people in general during the holidays when they're alone. And then we're going to have a surprise topic, because I'm not going to tell you what it is. Good morning. How are you? And welcome to MJ Network. This should be interesting and different. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say good morning to me? Yeah, you don't sound too hot. Yes, Are you I'm okay? Here. I'm here. I, yeah, I thought you were going to keep talking. Good to be back with you. It, this should be interesting, yeah, because um, I've been getting some interesting books to review, too. Oh, God, I feel sorry for myself sometimes. <laughs> so this this is a topic that hit me really hard. Grief can be difficult during the holidays. In what way do people experience grief at this time and why? Me, on the other hand, I miss my sister. She was my fun person to go shopping with and spend money that I didn't have. And I, and I miss that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we yeah. would go into a store and she would say, you have to buy extra, go on God. So how, how do you deal with that? How do people deal with that during this time of the year? Well, it's almost as though we lived two lives for a while. You... uh you, there's a part of you that moves forward, and and it's even held back because you want to hold back to the past. Uh, yeah. That's the second life, and uh, the uh, the immigration of the two takes time. Uh, it, it we have to add new experiences to our life to begin to to uh, start to resolve some of the grief issues that are there and the losses that that have entailed and. Losing experiences, just like the one you just uh, mentioned, but they do get integrated into our heart through the inner vision of our mind and heart. Even though it's sorrow, yeah, your your heart gets taken to a place where you can connect again through the, uh, the feeling that you shared together. Connection that we make on an emotional level that goes so deep that it's unconditional. Take away the barriers that we have in the five sensory world because it takes us into that place where that unconditional love that is shared between two people is eternal. Mm-hmm. And you literally become more soul than body. And our loved ones, even though they have physically died, they have emotionally and mentally left uh, an imprint inside of our soul. Mm. It gives us a pathway into knowing and experiencing where they are and where they are, we will be someday too as well. And that that uh, integration 
between loss and hope and faith that turns into a knowing after a while when our grief gets subsided to the point where we can recognize that we are more than just a physical being. We are a spiritual being uh, that has had a human experience so profound Mm. that it really actually reminds us who we are. That's interesting. Of course, I don't intend to go anywhere anytime soon. It's too much fun up here. (laughs) Yes. Well, a part of us is always in this world, but we're not really of it. It's not who we are. This world fades away. And that's how we're able to connect on those levels. Well, hopefully everybody will be here to connect on the outside because the accommodations on the inside aren't very nice. I'm going to hell you. And so what happens oh, to us? I wanted to when say love... one other thing. One yeah, other, sure. I wanted to say one other thing. All of this we just spoke of mm-hmm. has a way of healing a separation that was never meant to be to occur. Mm. We, at the beginning of our lives, some talk about it as the Garden of Eden when we separated ourselves from where we truly are as as an eternal being and and, uh, and and I won't get too religious here but I'll get to sometimes and it's from the Christian perspective but it's it, it we do we did that led us to separate from our true nature mm-hmm. and that that separation was never mm-hmm. meant to occur but because it did it has caused us to relive that experience over and over again, mm-hmm. which reminds us of the brokenness of the human race. But mm-hmm. yet the bridge from here to there once again and to return to our innocence in that Garden of Eden one more time, each and every time mm-hmm. we experience a loss, is to reconnect to that loss from a place that does know how to enter into those aspects of ourselves that hands can no longer Now, the next part of the question is, the second part is, what happens to us when a loved one dies? And how do different people, this is hard, deal with sudden deaths or from illness? Illness I understand, but my sister died out of nowhere and had a massive heart attack, and we still really haven't figured out why She's not here because someone didn't call 911 in time. So how, how do you deal with that when someone dies and then all of a sudden you get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night, your sister had a heart attack, by the way, get to the hospital tomorrow, but don't come today, but I did. How do you deal with that? That's hard. Well, let's first start with the, the gradual ones that a lot of times people experience okay. in hospice. Then, uh, and we'll, we'll separate it and go to the other. But okay. uh, the first one where people have gradual deaths, they don't have time to share memories with their loved ones and through the mm. use of stories. And these stories take them into their imagination and inside their heart. And Thomas More in his book, Care of the Soul, uh, Care of the Soul or Care for the Soul, I'm not sure which one it is, but either way, he talked about when the imagination and heart come together, you're in soul with one another. So through the use of being able to share stories, visual imagery uh, with each other of a person's past that take mm-hmm. you into those heartfelt 
questions. Give people a time. Give them time to call their soul from the past and into the present. And literally, both of you in the sharing in the present of a story together allows mm. both of you to become more soul than body together. And that's a different kind of grief than when you just all of a sudden don't have that that opportunity to do that with a loved one. You don't have time for that integration. So you have to do it apart from your loved one. And that that becomes something where it's important for uh, people to have good friends or a counselor or someone who just knows how to listen really well to them Mm -hmm. talk about those experiences though their loved one is still in the room with them and and they are in spirit they are uh and uh the and that that ability to share with someone listening with unconditional love gives Mm. that person the ability to do something with someone else that they didn't get the chance to do so with their loved ones now, how can we know that their love, that your your loved one is still in that room while you're sharing that story with someone else, even though it is not your loved one? How you can know that is through the inspiration inside of you to do so. And now, what becomes important is that person being able to listen with love. If they can't, then you need to move on to a better friend or a better counselor. Uh, because when you when the heart opens and makes room for a love space, that is our eternal mechanism that, that gives us the pathway into our creator that brought our life into being. And when we allow ourselves to share that with someone and they reflect back with you on that experience, it is as though they are there in the room with you. A good counselor mm-hmm. would be able to do that for you and with you. And uh, and the healing response that comes from you is the is the allowance of you and that counselor, let's use the counselor here, you and the counselor to be able to to enter into a path of unconditional love together which opens the door, that gateway between heaven and earth for people to express themselves as they are truly are and as they are truly known in their relationship with their loved one that they lost abruptly. So you have to do a little bit of retrieval and go back Mm -hmm. to those places uh, uh, that you didn't get a chance to experience in a physical way and you do it in a spiritual way uh, through through the um, relationship of another person. <coughs> what I did was, I did was, I wrote by my my book, Sisters, Two Sisters from the Bronx, and I sat down uh-huh. right after she died, and I said, okay, I'm going to write down all the things that we did together that I remember, and I came up with about 20 different stories and published them so that I could read them, and then I shared them with my family and her children because I just felt that that was one way that I would keep her alive, and also, MJ Network is after my sister, Marsha Joyce. And it's uh-huh. it's really fun that you should say that. Yesterday when I got up, I looked outside and the clouds were red. And they were pink. And that's how I knew she was there. 
because her favorite mm-hmm. color was pink clouds and red clouds. So I said, yeah, you're there. It's about time you got mm-hmm. some, did something about it. So that's true. And what do you do when somebody, this is an even harder one, just as hard when somebody let's, is let's, ill and sick, you can't right do there. anything. Let's, yeah. Hold on, let's stop before we go to the next question. Okay. What you just shared with me. See, we're all energy and information with skin stretched on top of it. Do you, mm-hmm. do you get that? Uh, and that energy is electronic, and we live in an electromagnetic world. The Earth is, is held together through electromagnetism frequency, and we are a part of those frequencies. And so is our loved one a part of those frequencies. And whether it be the the moon, the stars, or even the human heart, our creator has created us in such a way that we can experience and reflect upon a soulful experience that allows us to reconnect. Even though the connection wasn't separated, but we think it is because we our grief tells us that we are separated but it's only identifying with the physical part. But once you transcend that part, which you are telling me that you have done in that story, mm-hmm. you have reconnected yourself to the, the, the spiritual part of her. So these reflections, these mm-hmm. colors, these different expressions upon a reality that was born inside your sister's heart also is a shared, not only a shared memory, but a living presence inside your own heart mm-hmm. that gives you the ability to interpret such experiences as a reflection of your own sister's soul that has gone nowhere, that has only deepened itself into meaningful experiences and expressions you now can carry on uh, for her in this world. <laughs> Actually, I am. Um, the first thing that happened after my sister died, and after I found out she was really sick, is that her my nieces and nephews called me and said, "You're stuck with all of us." I go, "Gee, why did I do ever deserve all of you?" <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> whenever, whenever there's a problem, they call the queen over here, and it's okay. <laughs> If they have trouble with school, a, a, a essay or something, they call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. My nephew called me after my sister died. He said, well, if Marcia's not here to type, so I guess you're stuck. I go, gee, thank you very much. How great to play, you know, whatever. Yeah, my, my sister was an experience, and she would call me at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's like I miss that. She would say, good morning, are you the big witch or the bad witch today? Did you give mom her medicine? I go, she's waiting for the good one, that's you. And it's, it's true, you know, you do. But when she died, I went to the cemetery. I looked at her stone and I said, so what happened? If you could tell me, what would you say? And in my Faces Behind the Stone series, the first book, I sort of wrote what I thought. I didn't exactly use her name or anything, but I sort of said I had to get it out of my system. So, yeah, she, she's there yeah, somewhere um, driving me crazy. But... It's the truth. You, you do. You, you do. You don't want to forget the things that are ha- make you happy. But you, the second part of your question said, "What happens when someone is all of a sudden sick out of nowhere and doesn't know it? And how do you deal with that? And then they get sick for a long time, or they just out of nowhere die suddenly from an illness that they don't even know they have." Okay. Well, let's let's go with the opposite of that first. 
Okay. Have you ever had the flu? Have you ever had the flu? Anybody ever? I mean, there's a lot of people who've had the flu or flu. A long symptoms. time ago, but a very, very, yeah. very long time ago, I had the flu. I had the swine flu. Yeah. And I haven't had it since because, thank God for the vaccine flu shot. It does save your life. Yeah. Well, the um, the uh, just all of a sudden, you, I mean, you you didn't know you were sick before you had the swine flu, and all of a sudden. You started yeah. experiencing symptoms of what we call in illness or disruption yeah, of vibrations inside of your body, another way of saying that. And we call that no longer being in tune with mm. the uh, the healing nature that we truly are. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I got a cold this morning. But for some reason, it came on you out of nowhere. And and for and actually you live with it for a while, and then there comes. I a live period with it because I had no choice. And then it, there comes a period of time when it just absolutely goes away, out of nowhere, mm-hmm. just like it can. Now, where does it come? Where does it go? It goes into that place which, which all things come and go. It's another chapter of our life. It's not the chapter of our life. But while we're in it, we seem to think that that's all life is. But there's a there's a whole other aspect of life a lot bigger than we are going on around us. And sometimes we start connecting with the world around us and identify with the, the world around us a lot more than we did with the identity of illness. And things just seem to feel different because we have integrated other aspects of our creative world into us, enough of it to shift our attention somewhere else. I'll give you a great example of that. Mm-hmm. When I was a small child, uh, most of my teenage years, I stumped my toe on, my, uh, on, a, on a chair, a wooden chair in the uh, kitchen. Now, because I was going through real fast, walking real fast, trying to get to the living room. And my dad saw it, and he, he heard me. He was in pain, and it, and it bothered him. And I, and he said, mm. and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, listen, listen. And I, and I quietened down just enough through my screaming to listen. He said, is that the ice cream truck? And that shifted my attention just enough to take it away from my stump toe on the chair. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, he, I mean, yeah, he told me a tale, but at the same time, it shifted my sight of identifying with the pain that was going on in my toe. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted really bad for that to be the ice cream truck. Because we always get ice cream <laughs> off of it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted a different experience. You hear what I'm saying? It's take, I wanted a different experience rather than the identity of what I was living. And when and if you notice, uh, we call it inspiration. And, uh, but a lot of times when we get inspired to do something or to have a different experience, our attention flows into those areas that we want to become a part of. And we mm. literally begin to embody it. And that's why I say grief is a, an interesting thing. We can identify with it. And while it's there, we need to feel it fully. But we need to recognize that there is a life outside of 
our grief that is continuing to go on. And at any given moment, when we start to choose to participate in it, it doesn't mean that we love our loved one any less because they come and go in their lives later on, like you shared with the, the, the uh, those colors, the pink mm-hmm. and red colors that you saw. They're always going to be with us. They never left to go anywhere. None of mm-hmm. us ever leave our relationship with people that we have connected deeply with in a, in a place of unconditional love. Those mm-hmm. types of relationships are eternal and cannot die, even if we wish for them to die. And you can just ask anybody who, who, who would like to forget somebody that has died and they stay with them the rest of their life. Some things are going to stay there until we transform those relationships into a more positive understanding or at least an understanding of why people were the way they were. So you see, that's the opposite. You can mm-hmm. even have a challenging relationship that even though it doesn't get resolved in this life, it can and mm-hmm. will be resolved at some level in the next. And sometimes the greatest healing that occurs between relationships are when someone has died and we begin to see them in a different way. And because of that, we become a part of a healing expression mm. that, again, as I said before, heals a separation that was never meant to occur. I, You know, sometimes I agree with that. Sometimes I just sit down and go, and there's a problem, and I'll say to her, well, what would she do to solve this? She used to call me in the morning at 7 when she had a problem anywhere, and she would say, this uh-huh. is the situation, now you fix it. I go, wait a minute. Don't you have to work? No, this is what you have to do right now. <laughs> she had, she worked, she was an office manager of, a, of an orthopedic surgeon. She ran the office, the building, and the doctors practically worked for her. And every year she came up with, a, you know, poems or, you know, to write, you know, to, to diss them or to, you know, do whatever uh, when she had, the, when they had the party. And she would call me in January and say, we have to start doing this for next January. I go, well, we just did it. And I would crack up laughing and she would, that, that was her. And I would say to her, well, how would you solve this problem? And, she, and I would think about that. So the next question is interesting, too. In what ways mm-hmm. do we transcend death with those that loved and become part of a relationship that is more than soul and body? And this is very important. How do we try to reconnect? Because, you you know, you sit there and somebody is gone and you say to yourself, well, what would she do that? What would she say? And in the morning, sometimes I look at my watch and I go, how come it didn't ring? Well, this morning it did ring at 7.15, but it was the wrong number. I didn't answer it. So how do you deal with that? But that's hard. Well, you remember who you are. Mm-hmm. The moment we begin to remember who we are, not what we are. See, we get confused. Mm-hmm. We live a life of condition. When we're born, first thing we've got to learn to do is eat or we will starve to death. Mm-hmm. And it is an innate nature for us to... to uh, to want to nurse our mother and uh, from our mother and for her to want to nurse you to, keep, to get you going, to get start learning inside of you. It generates energy inside of you through the use of food. And that's 
the first condition. If you want to survive in this world, you're going to have to eat. Now, you, you may be laid in your crib, and you start looking around with these newfound eyes at objects and stuff uh, that are around you. And you may even raise your hand a little bit and look at it and notice that you can wiggle your fingers. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you've got to learn how to do something with them or you will die. See, everything is conditional upon If you don't learn how to live in the conditional world, you will die. And then we learn to be potty trained or we'll get infection. It all keeps coming back to this in the conditional world. You learn how to crawl. You learn how to walk. You learn how to talk if you want to communicate. You go get a job, start a family, you retire. You go back to the place from which you came. But if you want to live in this world, you're going to have to learn the conditions that support it. While we're doing all of that, we're moving further and further away from our true nature, from who we are, that unconditional loving nature, which is our essence of who we are. We've got to somehow integrate our conditional world of of growth and loss and see it as a part of life instead of a part from life. But when we begin to recognize that our greater nature that surrounds it all, that brought us here and will someday take us back home, we can somehow put this world of which we are living right now in a lesser, maybe not, not, not lesser in terms of being less important, but in a lesser place of dominance for us because our true nature is greater than the world around us because we do not come from the world. We come from that which brought the world into being itself. And when we begin to do that, our ego begins to be put in its proper place, allowing the strength of who we really are to begin to shine through us and not from us and give us that eternal energy, that eternal power that gives us the opportunity to witness the world around us through the eyes of our Creator. And as we view the world from that perspective, it gives us an opportunity to find strength we would not and could not in and of ourselves. Mm. This next part of the question is very, very true. You know, I sit there. Um, th- I'm, why Christmas is hard for everyone at times. It's especially hard for people that are older. Number one, some of them have no family. Some of them they live in a facility or live alone. And I know from other people who put their parents in uh, nursing homes and facilities. Something I never did, and I would never do. Um, they're not always taken care of the right way. And if you don't go there, you don't have your presence known, you never know what's going to happen. So why is this so difficult? And how do we make these people in these facilities understand that these people are somebody? They're important people. They're there because they need you to take care of them, but you don't know what they did in the past, and they deserve to be honored in the present. So how do we change that? 
Well, I'd like you have to, to go all the time. I'd like to see families just go and visit their loved one. Now, I can yep. understand why some people have to make that choice. You've got a, a small wife, I'll give this mm-hmm. this one, who's about 100 pounds, and they got a 300-pound mm-hmm. husband, and every time they try to move them in their bed, uh, they break a bone, especially the, the elderly trying to move them. There's sometimes you just have to make that choice whether you want to or not, but there's no excuse to keep people from going to visit their loved one. That's right. Uh, and uh, so so I recognize there are times when people unfortunately have to make that choice. Um, and we don't live in a family setting where we have children that still live with us, although we're kind of going back to that right now because of what has happened the last two, two three years. Uh, people are losing their jobs and they're going back to their, their home, living with their parents. And they do become caregivers for their loved one in those last last days. But let's just let's just go to those to those who do not have that. And uh, and they and they're separated from everything that has had meaning for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they get lost, these people in these nursing homes. Unless somebody who goes in mm-hmm. to visit them, I used to be a chaplain for for hospice care for 32 years, and, and I got to be able to help these people relive their stories of their loved ones. And sometimes it would bring forth grief that they can't see them as often as they used to, and that does prevent itself with a, a certain level of, of grief. But they end up at some level being grateful that I come in the role of a chaplain who represents mm. those sacred relationships for them to bridge the gap as much as I can. And they do mm. make friendships with the other staff members uh, and with other residents. And they have games at these facilities and, and events like mm-hmm. movies and parties that they can go to that gives them the opportunity to experience um, a set of family members on a much broader scale than just their family of origin, physically. And it, it helps them to to transcend into those spiritual qualities of the relationship that, uh, that remind us and remind them who they are once again. And as they are as they are getting known in a different way through a different aspect of living life differently, it allows them to get to know themselves on a mm-hmm. another way that is different from their family to help them to identify other aspects of their being that they would not have the experience of if they didn't get forced into that situation. So there's good you and bad. Mm. You know what's really sad is that I went to visit when the hospital that my mother was in. The nurse case uh-huh. manager said, well, we're going to put her in a nursing home. I said, put yourself in one. Sam, I visited 20 different nursing homes and assisted living in the Bronx before I moved here. And then I went to a few uh-huh. others. And when I came back, I sat down in the middle of the floor and said, how the how do these people put their put them there the cruelty and i heard them 
the rudeness. I went up to one lady that was, um, one of the residents came over in one of the nursing homes, I won't say which one, to say hi to me and give me a hug. And I said, it's so nice to meet you. And the director smacked her in the head and told her to get away. I reported her. Another one. We do have those. Oh, oh, my God. I could not believe the abuse. And there was one that, you know, you hear that they drug them. This this group of 20 people were sitting in front of me in chairs, sleeping and drugged. And I said to them, what did you do? They were supposed to have bingo or movie. Well, it's better this way. And I said, no, these are people that are entitled to interact. These are people that are entitled to live. You, you, you're destroying them. I, I walked out hysterical. And then when I went back to the hospital, I brought back brochures from each one. I said, each one of you can have it because this is not going to happen. Some nursing homes are good, but you know what? The regulations, nobody really cares. And that's just really sad. Yeah, I, 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 now that's the negative side that we can talk yeah, about I know. right here. Um, that uh, there is another side to some nursing homes yeah. and some staff members that do go in and abuse their patients. And yeah. um, and now if you want to take this road, there's a lot of ways to control a patient. You know, they have a lot of rules and regulations that you can't yeah. put weighted blankets on them these days because it confines them. But the one thing that they don't talk about is getting to know that patient well enough to where they don't need all of those drugs that weigh them down from the inside out. Yeah. And that, to me, is just as abusive as a weighted blanket. That's right. When you give somebody so much medication that they're no longer coherent anymore just because you didn't take the time or have a staff member that could be hired to go around and talk to these people mm-hmm. and treat them mm-hmm. as they didn't need. And so, yeah, that's the negative side of uh, what can happen. Uh, uh, as well in a nursing home. And it is not a choice that anyone wants to make unless they have to. But if you do have to make that choice, um, it is important to to stay in touch with your loved one enough to make sure they Mm -hmm. are getting their needs met. And if not, you become the go-between for your loved one with the staff. And one of the things you can do if you want to, if you uh, recognize that you're not getting your your needs met through the medical staff, uh, you can always go to the chaplain and you can always go to the social worker. They are there as in between a lot of times to to, uh, help you get your message across in a supportive way. And it may be that there's a misunderstanding, too, on, on the loved one's part. You may be going a little too far. We all need perspective. We all need somebody to, to hear it. But if we're not going too far to an extreme, and that is discerned by the social worker, I do know after having sat in meetings for 32 years that the, their voice gets heard and it gets dealt with as a collective whole between the doctors, mm. nurse, social worker, and chaplains, and physical therapists, and everyone that's involved in that patient's care has a voice to uh, that goes into caring for that patient uh, from a place of healing perspective that sometimes has altered the medication that is given for someone based upon recognizing that 
that something is being missed here on a spiritual level or on an emotional and mental level that mm-hmm. could help them to eliminate some of the drugs that keep them from being human. It's, 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 it's sad. I know that this nurse case manager did this, and I, I, I had, we had Medicaid, and I had 12 hours, and then I got the next 12 hours. It cost me, Sam, when my mom died, I was in debt over almost a million dollars from her home care because until I got the second 12 hours, and I got the second 12 hours because the aide left my mom on a street corner to go shopping and buy her daughter a present, mm-hmm. and my mom was kidnapped by somebody, and it was kidnapped by an angel. He took her to the hospital, stayed with her, and I, I, I had no idea until the aide said, I lost your mother. I go, that's kind of hard. She's in a wheelchair. When I got to the hospital, now she had Alzheimer's. She looked at me. She said, about time you got here. What took you so long? I, I was hysterical laughing. And this guy looked at me. He said, just tell them I'm your brother. I said, just tell them you're my angel. I, I could not believe it. That a total uh-huh. stranger took her there. He saved her life. But before I forget, I don't think we're going to get to the other half of this. Um, tomorrow, D.P. Lyle, tally man. On the 4th, Vincent Zandri. We're going to talk about Pulp Fiction. On the 5th, we have um, the author of Cleopatra's Revenge. On the 9th, Cindy McDonald. And on the 12th, a very interesting Isaac Wright Jr., who spent 16 years of his life in jail, in prison for something he was wrongly accused, and how he became a lawyer and is dealing with people that are wrongly accused. On the 16th, um, I have Dr. Sabrina Shu, Linda Spear. Dr. Shu was a number one pain specialist in Westchester, and that's just part of January, which is going to end with Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child on the 26th. So I don't know we're going to get to the second part. We might have to do another one. So how do the holidays affect the elderly and bring in sadness and loneliness? I mean, there are a lot of elderly people in my building, and they're all by themselves, and everybody tries to, you know, get together. We used to have, like, a party in the lobby, but because of this stupid pandemic that doesn't ever want to go away, you know, nobody wants to be that close to anybody. And it's too cold outside to do this outside like they used to do. So how do you do something for them? I mean, I say good morning, have a nice day, or do you need anything, and I'll come and get it for you. That's just me and a few others. So how do the holidays affect somebody and bring sadness and loneliness to these people, not only people that are in homes, but people that live by themselves? Well, the pandemic itself has caused additional isolation for these people Mm -hmm. that uh, wasn't there before. So it's actually deepened their sadness. And something that's not being reported well because there's so many of them, there's a lot of suicide in our world that's not always getting reported now. But, uh, uh, and the statistics are having a hard time catching up. I work on the market now, and I can see the ticker symbol SCI. You can see where it's moving up and up and rapidly. And what that means is, see, that's a ticker symbol for for death and funeral services, for hospital mm-hmm. and health care. Yeah. Uh, what that means is that's a growing sector of the market that's moving up rapidly. 
So there's a lot of death that, uh, that means there's more money going into that field. So that means there's a lot of death taking place, whether you're aware of it or not, whether it be through suicide, through, through COVID, or through, through other means. Uh, complications with COVID, anything, uh, anything you know. uh, but This isolation, and, and, and a lot of people live in the fear of death, but what is in hospice care is that people, especially if they've lived for a for a while or a long time, they don't fear death. They fear the pain that comes with death. Mm-hmm. Part of that is the fear of pain, which we can take care of. But what we have a long way to uh, uh, to go in working on the, the pain is helping people deal with the emotional and mental pain that comes with that. We don't help people deal with their fears of pain or fear of moving to the other side of death itself. Because once you have the fear of death and once you have the the identity, we talked about this earlier, the identity of pain where you have lost control of a life you once held as meaningful and and joyful for yourself, now all you experience is the identity of pain and it envelops everything about you. One of the worst fears that people have is this is going to last forever. And how long is it going to last? So you see, your fear is no longer just your your pain that is actually going on. Your fear becomes, is this going to last forever? Mm. And people would rather die than to live in that kind of pain of course the rest of their life and depression sets in and when you are depressed or moved away from the expressions of life you once enjoyed you find yourself with uh, an identity existing within you that's not not uh, one of which has uh, been a part of you most of your life and it's not a part of the the true nature of who you are. I can give you an example of the two people that I once cared for in, in hospice. One lady, uh, one lady took uh, a lot of morphine to take care of her pain in the same area as another lady on the other side of town. Town. One of them took a baby aspirin, and the other one took a lot of medicine. One had a lot of hope and faith in medicine taking care of her, but but she had to keep increasing it because uh, she she felt as though that her pain continued to grow. But the other lady on the other side of town, and, and I don't want to put cultural biases on these stories, so I'm just going to say it in general here. The other lady mm-hmm. had, had faith that every time that uh, that energy moved up her spine and into her head, she, she interpreted it to be the presence of God preparing her to go be with him or her in heaven. And, uh, and uh, she, because of her interpretation of it, she only took a baby aspirin and relied upon her joy she interpreted mm-hmm. and identified with her pain in a different way than the other one did. 
So you see, we our identity, where we place our energy and attention on, can uh, embody us so much that that is what we become, even though it's not who we are. And we leave behind a lot of times the essence of who we are that has the capacity mm. to allow us to to live in this life but not truly be of it. When we truly realize that that's the giftedness uh, of who we really are and the essence of who we are and the gift that we all bring to the human race itself, mm. we then become capable of living outside of the box. In fact, when you live in that place, you do away with the box itself and you become nothing more and nothing less but the eternal box of God that has no possible space and time anymore. If you literally merge into that divine presence and mm-hmm. experience how you are say- truly known as you are truly known. You and know, some people I would, do that. And you know, a lot I of people with do when in tremendous pain, they do that and and it's in the amazement of those who are caring for for them, such as doctors who nurses who can't mm-hmm. understand when they're in so much peace. Most people would be in a lot of pain. I I won't take pain medicine or anything like that. I won't say why. But before I retired um, my mom got sick in 2003, and my sister looked at me, and she said, I weigh 104 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds. But I, I was on this medication because of my thyroid, which is not a big deal to say. I'm not on it anymore, and I'm fine. But I retired from teaching, and she said to me, what are you going to do now? And when I thought about it, I go like, I could take a break for a day or two. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, for real, she said, this is her fault. Why don't you write a book? I go, you're going to be sorry because I'm going to write about us. That's what started it. When I retired mm-hmm. a few years later, I said, okay, I'll write my name as Bertha. And I made her edit it, made my, made my mother-in-law edit it. And then I realized you can retire, but you could do something else. And I look at my friends that retired, and they're doing nothing. I mean, they stay with their grandchildren and stuff, and I'm saying, I do these broadcasts because it's fun, and I really like it. keeps my mind active. I wrote, my new book is coming out next month, Accusations. It should be interesting. And I love doing reviews of anything. Mm -hmm. And it keeps your mind active. You don't have to just do nothing. And as far as medication, I agree with you. I have a cousin that takes... 10 opiates a day for pain. Mm-hmm. And those 10 opiates caused her to have an ulcer. And I told her, yes. I said, you see, I told you, deal with Motrin, deal with Tylenol. She destroyed her stomach. You're right. We have to start realizing that there's so much more to life than just feeling sorry for yourself. And the minute my sister said that, I said to her, you know what? You're right. And then out of nowhere... I wrote this book. Somebody heard about it. I don't know who. And this lady in the talk show host invited me to do an hour a month on her network to talk about different books and different stories. And that's what started it. So, yeah, that, that that's interesting. 
Now we we're not going to be able to get to the other half, but there is a I could I wanted to reword this question. Uh was this a good one? The world is changing okay. rapidly. Everybody is changing with it. But I'm noticing that prices are and food are high. There are some food products that you can't get. There were oh, a pint of ice cream because I don't eat anything with dairy. Um, oat milk ice cream was like two dollars. Now it's almost seven. So what did you notice about prices in general? And you know, a lot of people, you know, on, on fixed incomes, it makes it hard to them to deal with. So what do you notice about um, that? That that's that's changing before we. And we have about ten minutes. Not even. Okay. Well, the, the um, we are moving into a new economy. Some people are aware of it, but I, I'm afraid that most people don't know about it. You're uh, right. Unless you're, uh, unless you're following the markets and following what's going on in the economy. We have moved, since January the 1st, we became a tier one asset backed by gold society here in the United States. And a lot of other countries have done the same. Because the, the financial system that we are on right now is failing us, and and it has been for a while, and that's called inflation. Uh, it means the dollar is being worth less and less around the world, and in order to, and we go through this cycle every fifty years. Every fifty years, we usually go from from one monetary policy to the next. This one, we are backing uh, the dollar with. With gold at 80% on January the 1st of this year. Now, in the month of December, we are backing it by 90%. January the 1st of 2023, we're going to be 100% backed by gold, which means we can no longer borrow money indefinitely and into infinity going forward. We got to have every dollar be worth a dollar backed by a real asset, such as gold, silver, uh, palladium, and and platinum, mm-hmm. and, and believe me, this is causing a lot of grief for a lot of people who want to use the uh, the debt-based system to to get to where they want to be fast and, and grow in companies and stuff. But it is uh, it is tended to be at the expense of, of people who support them through their efforts called employees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now we've got to go back to a system where um, a handshake means something. The uh, word means something. Uh, because if you if it doesn't mean anything, uh, since we're going to a collateralized economy, things can be taken away from you, such as your company or parts of it, until you do what you say you're going to do and capable of being able to do so. Uh, this is causing the world as we know it, and we'll be really making the world as we know it take notice come January the 1st when we reset. Those settings are going to be changed to a 100% go back collateralized society. People aren't going to be able to spend the way they used to and borrow money the way they used to. And it's going to uh, cause the market to reset themselves to real value. Now, what that means is we're deflating an inflated economy, so the prices mm. of everything will start to go down, and it'll be at prices 
that people can afford. There's usually a three-cycle downward movement in the economy before a recession hits its bottom. And when it reaches its bottom, those are the real prices that can sustain an economy. And as the price of and the dollar goes down and the gold price goes up, mm. which is what's going to support the dollar going forward. Gold is what is the bridge between here and where we need to go mm. to, uh, uh, to, and as we raise the price of, of gold, which raises the price of the dollar it backs, and other countries with their dollars it backs, it gives everyone of us the opportunity to, to gradually grow into an economy, an economy that uh, of not only just real values, but real prices that allows us to all live comfortably again. Because 70% of the market is consumers. We mm. have a lot more to say than people realize, and the, the bank and the government cannot run without our spending money. It's what makes an economy sustainable. So if if one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. We have about two minutes left. But to be very honest, to to add to that, you're right. You know something, I go into a doctor's office or even the pharmacy is great. But I go into a doctor's office and the staff is nasty. And the other other day I I got a phone call from one of them and I said, did you ever think about the fact that if it's not for people like myself or other patients, you could sit home and watch television all day? Did you ever mm-hmm. think who's paying for your job? Our insurance companies? Did you ever think to realize that you're rude? I reported her to the doctor because there was no reason for her to be rude. I wasn't being rude. I was just asking a question. I said, mm-hmm. did you ever realize that? I mean, even you walk into a store and what do you want? Probably nothing if you're in a bad mood. Now, you know, you walk out. You walk into other other places and you say good morning and they're really nice. That That's the problem also with the world now. Nobody's nice. Everybody's nasty. And everybody thinks they have a coming. But um, in order to do the other part, which is digital banking and banking, I think we're going to have to do it a different day. Okay. Sounds good. The world is changing. And we're going to have to move into it one way or another because um, yeah. without it, our world will fall apart economically. So, uh, yeah, that would be a good topic for us to go into because the world, there's a lot of yeah. news that comes with uh, moving into a new, whole new world. But once we get yeah, to the other side. I'm just trying that, to look uh, at my schedule here. This girl's schedule, I'm like... You know what it is with, with get, what's going on in the world, too. I'm getting everybody yeah, wants we, an interview. When we get to the other side of our grief, just like in people, losing people, we'll find yeah. new experiences and new expressions, and we will adjust. That's just the nature of who we are. Well, you can send me the talking points. How does – let me look at my, my – I'm losing my mind here. Um, I can do March 28th. Is that good? As far as I know, it is. Uh, okay, now. let me put but it down we'll on my schedule. To, we'll have to dis- discuss this uh, later. If you'll just send me a note, we'll I talk will talk about it. Because in, my, in the end of March, 
there's a lot of things taking place where we go to an international payment system through the digital economy. And uh, the banking system is already digital, and your money is already digitized, whether people realize I know. Uh, we'll just be talking about what's happening underneath and what what the banking sector is doing at that point. That would be great. I might. I learned a little bit because my nephew was a financial advisor for an investment company, and he's a little genius. So he he knew exactly what you were talking about. So I said, <laughs> See, him, just, just like tell me. Yeah. Just like you, I, when I left one career, I went into another. When That's you're right. a writer, you always have a career, though. That's <laughs> when right. you're a writer and speaker, you always have a career. Well, I'm an educator by far, and I, from what I understand, I'm the queen of essays in my family. And today I'm just waiting to hear from my niece. I know she passed respiratory therapy, thank God. I'm just waiting to hear yeah. from microbiology, and I told her I was going to send her something special because this is a big deal. If she goes into the respiratory therapy program next year, one one more point for me, <laughs> and I'm so proud of her. Go. Yeah, and one is going into criminal services. They're all doing something because I butt in. That's okay. That's what my sister would do. You're right. But, Sam, this has been great. Everybody, think positive. Everybody smile. Do something nice to somebody. Be kind. Everybody have a great day, and bye.